and the, the widow. And uh, they're, they're, they're searching for, there's a need that each of them have. They're finding, the, realizing the need in Christ and seeing the outcome of that, the result of, of meeting Christ, of seeing Jesus. So let's pray and um, jump right in. Porter, I haven't been able to say this for six years. I miss it. Would you lead us in prayer? Amen. So we're in chapter 2 of Luke. Let's read verses 22 to 38. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arm, arms blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my, eyes have not, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold this child, is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be, op to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived her, with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow at the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So two people who see Jesus and the, the reaction that they have in having seen Jesus is what I want us to, to focus on this morning. How does knowing Jesus Christ affect your circumstances today? How does knowing Him affect your circumstances? You know, we're all going through different things in life. How does knowing Jesus affect those? In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the, the writer says this, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay us aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, you know, do you, these things that we deal with in life, are they, do, they ever, do they ever feel like they're metal and you're a magnet? And, you, and, and we see here we're supposed to lay these things down and because you're a magnet, bam, they come right back up. He goes on and tells us in verse 2 how we're to go about laying these things down. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. I was uh, preaching one time in uh, northern British Columbia uh, on, uh, from, from Hebrews. And it was there that uh, the particular message that Sunday was on rest. Now we're to rest. As believers, we're to know the rest that is Christ. And one of the members of the church got really upset with me. Uh, he told one of, the, uh, one of the leaders in the church, he went to him and said, how can he talk about rest? How can he insist on rest for us? You know, I, and he went on to explain his circumstances, that he has his own business, he has his family, he has debt, he has everything he has to take care of. How can I rest? And he was actually angry that I would preach that we are to know rest because he couldn't fathom that. The word fixing here is really important, and it ties in with what we're going to be looking at from Luke. The word fixing there in Hebrews 2 literally means to look away from all else to. So often, you know, these, we have these things in our life that we're fixated on. You know, the, the, the problems, maybe the sin, maybe things that we know we should be, should be in our life, and we can't master these things, and we're so focused on those things that we... We don't know rest. Rest is not a reality. But the word fixing, it means to, and it, it's helpful to see me do this. You know, say, you know, here's Jesus and here's our problem. And we're so fixed on the problem that we don't see the provision. And so we're to be fixed to look away from all else too. And that's what the writer said. That's how we lay aside so as we see Jesus. So now here we're looking at two people who have seen Jesus. Where are we looking? Uh, someone once said, look at others and be distressed. Look at yourself and be depressed. Look to God and you'll be blessed. Where are you looking? First person we want to uh, pay attention to would be Simeon. And uh, he is uh, described to us in uh, verses 22 to 32. And in particular, in verse 25, he is looking for something. First, we kind of get an idea of what kind of man he is. In verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. So he's, a, he's, he's someone, as we go on and read through, he's someone who is walking in relationship with God. He's a righteous man, he's devout, and he's known to be this. So he's living a certain kind of life. He, and he, in particular, was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we're finding out something. In this first section, we, if you remember the chart we looked at last week, we're, we're dividing Luke into four sections, spending three classes in each section. This first one is an introduction to Jesus. And I think what's going on, something I see a consistency in, in these first few chapters, is that Luke is wanting to present Christ uh, uh, with, with certainty. He wants, the, he wants the recipient to be certain of who Christ is. And so he's laying out you know, that the, the angels have come. That's what we looked at last week. Now we're seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And here the Holy Spirit is revealing to him, and again in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And in particular, what is it that he's looking for in verse 25? He's looking for the consolation. And the word consolation means the encouragement or the comfort. He's looking for the consolation of Israel, the encouragement or the comfort of Israel. And he goes on, Simeon himself goes on and describes this in verse 30 as being salvation. He says there, the consolation is their salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So I appreciate J. Vernon McGee. You know, he just really makes it very simple, doesn't he? He says this, salvation is a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. You either have him or you don't have him. You either trust him or you don't trust him. Do you have him today? You know, it's a shame that as believers we feel silly asking each other, do you have Jesus? You know, we have no problem asking a non-believer, do you have Jesus? Do you know Jesus? But we're slow to ask each other, do you know Jesus? Uh, I know the years that we were at his hill, that there were several times that we had students come to us from Christian homes believing that they were Christians. And one actually told me because my parents are and because I read the Bible and we go to church. Good person. But, you know, coming to realize that she didn't know Jesus. She knew all about him, but she didn't know him. And it was, and it was a privilege, you know, on several occasions there. And, and this young lady was one of those times to actually see come to know Jesus. But, you know, Colossians 2.6 says this to the believer, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And so, listen, just because we have come to know Jesus, because we realize that there's nothing good in me, I can't do this on my own, doesn't mean that now that I know him, it depends on me. Do, do you see Jesus today? Paul said this. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I can do all things through him. I labor, I strive according to his power, which mightily works within me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you see Jesus? Is this salvation a reality for you? We're either trusting him or we're not. Every human being throughout all of history has lived by faith. We will either live by faith in Christ or we will live by faith in ourselves. We can't help but live by faith because we were made to live by faith. And so what was the outcome of this search for consolation, this search for comfort, and this search for encouragement? Well, the outcome for him in verse 29 was peace. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. And peace meaning tranquility, prosperity. I thought that was interesting to find that peace means prosperity. I was listening to uh, a very well-known pastor a few years ago. Uh, who's, uh, he has a television ministry, and uh, I won't bother using his name, but he, was, uh, he is a very well-known pastor. And I, I, I'd never... 
really listened to him, though I knew he was really popular. He was, he's known to be a prosperity teacher. And so I thought one time while I was flipping through the channels, I'll go ahead and just listen to it because he's so, he's just so well, and I just want to know what he's about. So I listened to about 10 minutes of a message, and I thought it was really interesting. He used all the same verses that I hear us use in presenting Christ as our life. And he used every one of those to back up a prosperity theology where that, he, that, that God wants you to be rich, monetarily rich. And I thought, what a horrible twisting of Scripture. That's not the prosperity. That is not the prosperity. We are to store up riches in heaven, aren't we? Where moth and rust cannot destroy. That we, do, you, do you understand how rich we've been made in Christ? Colossians 2 says that we have been made complete in Him. That we, we have been made so rich, so prosperous, and this should affect us in every situation. So, real quick, something that uh, just came to my memory. Let's turn to John chapter 14. In chapter 14 and in verse 27, Jesus is talking with his disciples in the upper room before he's arrested, knowing that that's about to happen. So he's wanting to cover some things before this happens. And in the context of telling them that he's not going to leave them alone, he is going to send the Holy Spirit. But look at what the reality of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be for them. In verse 29, um, 14, verse 27, I'm sorry. Peace, it's the same word, peace I leave with you. And now look at this, my peace I give to you. So this is literally Christ himself. What is true of him is what he leaves for us himself. And then look at the outcome. You see, look how he goes on and describes it. It's not as the world can give does he give to us. And so where are we looking? Do not let your heart be troubled. How, how often is that a reality? Do not let your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. Why? Because I'm giving you my peace. This should be our, our outcome as well in seeing Jesus. Uh, some of you, uh, you newer people, uh, won't remember him, but uh, we, had a, we had a member here for a number of years. His name was Gary Spadafora. And uh, Gary ended up dying of cancer. He was diagnosed and, and, and passed away. It, it all happened very, very quickly, uh, just a matter of a few weeks. And I remember sitting with him in the front of the sanctuary after one of the services, and it was a potluck Sunday. And he was sitting, just sitting in the front by himself. I walked up to sit down with him, and it had been diagnosed, and we knew it wasn't much longer. And I had one of the most encouraging conversations that I have ever had with a believer. The man was so excited about going to be with Jesus. And he told me, and he kind of leaned over, and I hope I'm not betraying him <laughs> in saying this, but he leaned over and he says, Kelly, to tell you the truth, if I'm healed, I'll be disappointed. 
And I remember sitting there looking at him, and, and he passed away about a week and a half, two weeks later. He was, the, the, the peace was such a reality in the midst of what he was having to deal with. He was that confident in seeing Jesus. Before we move on, does anybody have anything they want to add to this idea of consolation, this idea of peace in seeing Jesus? Yes. Yeah, and I, I personally I have found that to be true too. You know, he's he is so faithful, and, and that's that's what I, I think we see because the Holy Spirit revealed to him, and 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 so we see he's in a relationship with the Lord. He's walking with him. That reminds me of Ephesians chapter four, where Paul t- encourages us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's Ephesians four one, and what that word walk means it means to be consumed with, to be actually it means to be occupied with. So to, to walk with him. And, and you know, it's it, it inter- just that, that idea of walking. In Genesis, you, did, have you ever caught the, the, the phrase that in chapter 2 where God had come to walk with them in the cool of the day and they recognized the sound of it? They knew it was God because it's not the first time that he had come to walk with them. So we were made for that. And sometimes I think we sell it short, don't we? You know, I, th- I, I, I know I do. Any other thoughts? Yes, sir. Yeah, oh. Well, I was glad you thought about Gary. I knew him as well as anybody. Yeah, you did. In the church, you know, go, you had him at the funeral service and celebrated his life. Yeah. I heard stories I'd never heard. I mean, I couldn't believe people sitting out of the woodwork Yeah. Yeah, he really did. Yes, sir. Well, Timmy, I mean, uh, it was, he, he saw the consolation of Israel, and yet he didn't. Hmm. Uh, kind of like Abraham mm-hmm. saw God, and yet he didn't believe him, but he had believed it. Well, you know, something that Charlie told me one time that was really helpful for me, at the time I was mad at him for it, uh, I, I was going through one of those times in life, and I just poured my heart out to Charlie, and he said, well, Kelly, you know, and I thought, I remember thinking, oh, finally, I'm going to get an answer. And he, he just very gently said, we can never get away from faith. And I remember looking at him thinking, that's all you got for me, that expensive education, and that's all you got for me. 
And, but, you know, I couldn't get that out of my mind. You can never get away from faith. In Hebrews 11, the writer tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And then also Hebrews 11, I think, is very clear that faith is not just... It's, we think of faith as being a leap in the dark with our eyes closed. We do. I mean, you know, so often that's what we think it is. But it isn't. Faith is a leap of certainty. And in Hebrews 11, we see that. Have you ever thought this? This is interesting to me, too, that, that every example of a person who lived by faith every, is a saint. But every example is an Old Testament character. They're all saints. And if you read through it, you find because their faith was in Christ. They were looking for something else. And then with Moses, in the middle of the chapter, it actually is written out, he was looking to Christ. And so, yeah, I kind of understand what you're saying. But it's not like, but, it, but it, is, it is a seeing with certainty. Does anybody have another way of saying it, maybe clearer? Reality? Reality? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. If you couldn't hear that, he said he knew Christ for a long time, but he wasn't real. I I have a uh, I understand what you're what you're saying. I know for years, I was I was very active in church, to the point that I had had enough of this, and and I just quit. You know, I'd, and I I just just told God, you can have this. You know, I'll keep heaven because that sounds better than hell, and I'll keep going to church because, well, you know, my family will flip out if I, if I stop that. So I'll keep doing that, but this just doesn't work. And it was like the Lord was just telling me, you know, Kelly, I've been waiting 14, 13, 14 years for you to finally quit because what you have quit is not Christianity. It's just the idol that you've made yourself and named Christ. And, uh, and it was at that point that the Lord was, was able to show himself to me. Anybody else? Just yes, sir. From the concept of knowing, um, there's a couple, like, looking at New Testament verses, there's a word to know, and you have one that's like Eucrino, it's like being able to discern or to just know something background. Right. Knowledge, which he's talking about, and then there's gnosko, yeah. which is the intimate knowledge. Right. Like knowing of something. Right. Experientially but knowing. Experientially that you know. And yeah. Right. Yeah, thank you. Okay, let's, let's press on for time's sake. Um, the next person is the widow from verses 36 to 38. And we see the reality of seeing Christ for a widow of many years. And I was looking at this. If she was married uh, according to you know, what was kind of traditional for the Jewish culture, and, and she was only married for seven years then it's possible that when she became a widow, she would have been between 20 to 25. And so we put all this together and we find out that this woman's well over 100 years old. And church tradition tells us that Simeon was as well. We don't have anything for sure with that, but church tradition. These are older people who have been, you know, looking for a long time, waiting for a long time. And... Jesus comes and affects their life in, in, in just a tremendous way. We see, uh, first of all, 
she was a widow to the age of 84, according to verse 37, after only being married for seven years, according to verse 36. We also know that widows didn't have an easy time. Uh, they, they were often neglected and exploited, even, even though the law required better treatment of them. And we find, like, in, in a couple places in the New Testament, including in James, where the, James is telling people, this is true religion, to take care of the orphan and the widow. You know, having to remind people of this. So, you know, I, I think of these things and, and think that, man, she was a widow for that long, for 84 years, in, in, in that, you know, possibly in that kind of situation. But she was in relationship with the Lord again, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier. She was always, day and night, in the temple, praying and fasting. Um, and so what was the outcome of this? Christ is there, and the, 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 you know, as a baby, Simeon is holding him, praising God, and we find that this woman who has been in this situation for 84 years is thankful. She's not bitter, but she's giving thanks. In verse, um, in verse 38, And that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's thankful. It reminds me of a familiar passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Does anybody know what it says? In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will. I, I, you know, that's probably the most common question that has been asked of, of me uh, in, in, uh, in, in, a, in a teaching ministry and in, in speaking. And people come and ask me, how do I know God's will? And I, I, think it's, I just think the wording here is really interesting. You know, of course, they want to know the particulars. Should I stand up, sit down, turn right, or turn left? I don't think you know what you should do unless you are abiding in what you know is God's will. You know, to, to truly be thankful in everything. I know a couple of men who stress this. They say that that is actually the language of faith. Thank you. And if you think about that, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you. You know, it may not be the way we want it, the way we expected it, but he never leaves. He never forsakes. Thank you. Um, any thoughts there with thanksgiving, thankfulness? <laughs> okay. Well, moving on. Go ahead. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. Okay, so these two people, what I think, something that I see with both of these as an application is that both Simeon and the widow's lives were changed as a result of seeing Jesus. Their lives are different than it was before the story starts, before Jesus comes into the temple. In verse 29... We've already talked about it. He's ready to die in peace. And then in verse 38, he's expressing thanksgiving, or she is expressing thanksgiving. And then she continues to speak of Jesus to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see how her ministry has changed. And it's as a result of seeing Jesus. She's still a widow, but she's thankful. These last uh, six years have been interesting years for us. You know, we, uh, we were in a community that is um, about 96% Roman Catholic, so fellowship was drastically changed for us. Um, we, we had, there, there were a, a few believers that we came in contact with, and uh, they, were, uh, they were a blessing. We, uh, but, we, but we didn't have the, the same fellowship, the same community that we had here. And we just feel like Christmas coming back. It's just such a blessing, and we're so thankful. We're so thankful for all of you, the old faces and the new faces. It's, it's just so exciting for us to be back a part of this fellowship and it is encouraging you really have ministered to us and, and we're thankful for that but those six years we uh for a time we were hosting a bible study in our house to anybody that wanted to come and there were these there was this older couple that had come they were retired teachers had moved there from virginia and they really became our best friends there they were uh they had moved there because their children were there. They didn't really want to be there. They didn't really like the area. But family was there. So that's where they were. And they would come to our Bible study every week. They were very active in their church. Um, and they, they would, so they, were, they would participate. They, you know, we just loved them to death. Uh, one... One day, after we, one evening, after we were done with the Bible study, the whole group went into the dining room because, I mean, Christians can't get together without eating. So they went there to eat, and we were still in the living room. This other fellow, his uh, name is Richard, and uh, myself and a couple other men stayed behind. And Richard was waiting for an opportunity to talk to me, but we were never alone, so he just went ahead and blurted it out. He said, Kelly, I am so frustrated. And I looked at him and said, what do you mean? He says, no, I mean it. I am frustrated. I, he said, for, for years now, I've been active in the church. I have attended it faithfully. I try to live the way Scripture tells me to, to live. I know that I'm a believer, but I am so 
frustrated with everything. He would be controlled by the circumstance. I mean, I saw it in his life. He would get angry about things. And so I talked with him about Christ, who he is, who he is to the believer, that he's our life, he's our peace, he's our rest. And you know, he listened, and then I, 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 I gave him a, a book, and this book I gave him, I, I, was, I was, felt comfortable in just giving a book to read along with his Bible because I knew the author would, and I knew the book, that it, it just drew from Scripture, kept going back to Scripture, going back to Scripture, going back to Scripture. And uh, a couple weeks later, he shows up at the Bible study, and he says, Kelly, that book, that book is helping me. And he says, I can't believe the things that it's explaining. But we'll talk about it later. Okay. And so another time he's there, and after the Bible study, everybody gets up to go eat, and he stayed, and a few of the other men stayed behind too, and we're talking. He says, Kelly, I've been reading this book. Been reading, he's, he was reading the scripture that went along with what the man was saying. And he said, Kelly, I can't put this down. My wife walks into the living room, sees me reading, and she doesn't say a word to me. She doesn't want to disturb me. She goes to the kitchen. She comes out of the kitchen. She sees I'm still reading, and she walks back to the other side of the house. And she says she's been doing this for days, going back and forth, just watching me reading and not asking anything. Not saying. Finally, she couldn't take it anymore. She just stopped, looked at me, and said, Richard, what are you doing? And he said, I looked up at her, and I said, I'm changing. I'm seeing Jesus for who he is, and I'm changing. How do you respond to seeing Jesus? How do you respond to seeing Jesus in your marriage, in your family, with your work? How do you respond to seeing Jesus at the traffic light, putting on a mask? How do you respond to seeing Jesus? Do you have any closing thoughts to add? <laughs> and um, now it's just, it's just me. And sometimes I can really feel alone. Yeah. You know, when you're in front of someone or someone just unloads or whatever it might be. And, uh, but we're not. And, and that's something that he's really been showing me this year is that you're not alone. Right? Like I'm here with you this entire time. Every person that comes in, I've gone before you. And uh, anyways, it, it reminded me of this passage in, in 2 Corinthians 6. Where our seven, sorry, verse nine continues. It says, "As unknown, yet well known; as dying, yet behold, we live; 
as tonnage yet not put to bear, as salt that yet fails to be seasoned, as swerves yet making many words, as having nothing and possessing nothing. And that's it, really. You know, and that's just for us. You know, we have nothing that we possess without Christ. Yeah. Thank you, Levi. That's that's a great reminder. He is faithful and he is present. He never leaves, he never forsakes. That, I was just going to say it. Thanks for saying it. We are rich. Praise God. Okay, then let's, let's pray. Would somebody like to lead us? Anybody?